The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 95 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the CISO of Siena, Andy Benillo. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own. I'm not that my president or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to resort to my current employment, and I will never disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get some other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out our recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So what a wonderful show we had last week with my co-host, Andy Benillo and Devin Bryan, the co-founder of the International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals, otherwise affectionately known as the ICMCP, and that's what most people refer to. That's because the name is kind of long. Uh, and the, the show just really blew up on social media. Everybody was congratulating Devin for being on the show, which is fantastic, and a huge outburst of love for everything that he's doing for so many people with the ICMCP organization. And I don't know if, it, it, you know if people realize it before the show, but my co-host Andy Manello is heavily involved uh, in the ICMCP, and, and so have many of the other guests that we have on the show. So it's, um, it's a big, uh, I guess, part of our mission here at, at Task Force 7 Radio to bring awareness to some of these uh, efforts that are going on out there. And uh, we really believe in, uh, in a diversity uh, of thought in, in cybersecurity. And I think this is really important for everybody to know. I guess it just really just blew up. Everybody agrees that uh, this is definitely key to uh, being successful. But as well as being the co-founder of the ICMCP, Devin is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for the National IT Organization of the Federal Reserve System, which is very cool. And he's also obviously a very well-respected uh, cybersecurity professional in the industry, uh, obviously has a tremendous uh, business acumen. His, his communication skills are awesome. That's why he's great for uh, radio, um, just fantastic. And uh, we only have tier one people on this show, so um, perfect for this show. I was so happy to, to get him booked on this show. So, um, and it just, you know, he brings a lot of credibility to the show and that's what we like. We like just, uh, as far as Task Force 7 Radio goes, people come and listen to Task Force 7 Radio because they, they trust us. You know, they trust the show, they trust our guests, and they, uh, they don't always have to agree with everything we say, of course, but they know when they listen to Task Force 7 Radio, the, hopefully they're going to walk away with something, something that gives them food for thought at least and hopefully learn something as well. <clears throat> so we had... A great episode with some great conversation. We talked about a variety of different topics, including the urgency in increasing diversity in the cybersecurity industry, 
And then including Devin's opinion on the diversity of the person versus the diversity of thought and tackling some of the more complex cybersecurity threats that most Fortune 500 companies are facing today. So Devin also laid out what he sees as best practices for creating a more diverse cybersecurity workforce, uh, some of the more innovative processes that in his experience uh, he thinks have been successful and work very well in large and small organizations alike. And then also some of the technologies that he prefers, as he also opined on whether or not he thinks that the diversity problem is more acute in certain critical infrastructures and sectors over others, which I thought was a very, very interesting part of the conversation. So it was a fantastic show, but if you missed it, not to fret, ladies and gentlemen, you can always catch us on playback on your favorite playback medium. It's right at the top of your TF7 radio uh, playback library. I'm sure it's still there. Don't miss Devin Bryan, the co-founder of the International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals. On last week's episode, that's episode number 94 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you a link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. And I promise you, I'm going to be updating this site very soon, right? We're going to update the site, get it going. Uh, We've hit some road bumps, but uh, we're we're definitely going to get around to it. It's just really so busy around here. You can also search our guest library, which is the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio and even write comments on the different news articles and topics that we were talking about, which is always really cool. So we are on at least 11 different playback mediums. Now I believe it's 12, and we made it easy to find them all. You just hit subscribe button at the top and right of the homepage, and you'll see the entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe right to the show from the TF7 radio website, which is you know the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. This way, you'll get all the TF7 radio updates right from the site, And as the site gets more robust and we move towards version two of Task Force 7 Radio, you'll be notified about the extras and the encore episodes and eventually when we go to video and and things like that. So I can't wait for the future. I'm really excited about it. Had a big conversation with the editor over at the uh, cshub.com this morning. What a fantastic operation uh, they have over there. And uh, we're just talking about how we're moving forward here at Task Force 7 Radio in the future and and there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we got another great show for you tonight. We're going to have the Director of Sales Threat Intelligence for Looking Glass and the founder of the New York Information Security Meetup Group, David Raviv on the show with us this evening. So I'm really excited to have Dave. I've known him for a long time. David began his career as an unmanned airline pilot and officer in the Israeli Air Force. And then he soon thereafter, he relocated to Canada to pursue an undergraduate degree in computer science and a master's degree in business administration. So after he obtained his education there, he became an early employee of the Herjavec Group. Right, and they're a leading enterprise software security reseller and MSSP, but everyone knows the Herjavec Group. I mean, they've grown to be one of the biggest cybersecurity companies in the world, and even if you're not in cybersecurity business, 
you probably recognize the name because Robert Herjavec is one of the sharks on the hit entrepreneur show, Shark Tank, right? And so it's always a very cool show. It's one of the few shows that I will actually watch on TV. I don't watch much TV at all unless it's sports or news. And, and there's a couple of shows I watch. Uh, Shark Tank is one of them. I always think it's just a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, Robert's great on the show. So, but after, after joining the Herjavec Group, David grabbed his uh, CISSP certification. And then he led the effort to grow the business from a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue to over $15 million in sales, which is, you know, unbelievable and, you know, fantastic work that he did over there. Then he was looking for some type of change. He moved to the United States and he worked at some various startups, including Proofpoint, Optiv, and Hyper. And now he is the director of sales of intelligence for the cybersecurity powerhouse Looking Glass. So tons of experience to tap into here, especially in the intelligence space. Um, what's of interesting note that in 2013, David founded the New York Information Security Meetup Group, and that's one of the largest independent security groups in the country. Uh, they've hosted over 85 live events in New York City, and if you have anything to do with, you know, groups or, um, you know, running groups or running organizations like this, you know how difficult that is. That is really, really difficult. And he continues to pound away and build this uh, organization. They get a lot of uh, uh, value out of it. The group has now over 5,000 active members. And they have hundreds of people showing up to these events. Hundreds. Like, I think there's like, like, uh, like 150 or 200 people showing up to these events on a, on a monthly basis, which is incredible. And I was actually honored to speak at one of the events early on in their history. And I, I can't wait to get an update on the success of his organization. So it's that time, my friends. It's my pleasure to welcome the Director of Sales Threat Intelligence for Looking Glass and the founder of the New York Information Security Meetup Group, David Revive, to the show. Dave, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thanks, George. I'm excited to be here. Hey, I'm really happy to have you on. You know, we've been talking about this for a while, so uh, I'm really excited to have you here. I mean, you, I've known you for a long time. You have a very, very diverse and interesting background. And I just, you know, I want you to explain to the audience how you got started in this cybersecurity industry because it's always unique. I hear all kinds of different stories and our audience loves stories. And when people hear the track that some of the guests actually took to get to cybersecurity, they relate it to themselves and it's just, a, I don't know, they find it uh, very entertaining and, some, and very useful in some other respects. So what attracted you to the industry? Yeah, absolutely, George. And, and what's funny is, you know, last time we met, you actually were on the other side. I was interviewing you at one of my events uh, all the way back, I think, 2016 or 17 even, um, which you were still at Citigroup. Uh, so it's really a pleasure to be here and pleasure to be on the other side of, uh, you know, the interview. So, uh, yeah, I, I do have interesting background. Um, you know, so I, I started my career, if you wish, um, in physical security. Uh, I joined the Israeli Air Force uh, when I was 18 years old. I was um, privileged to get selected to be a, a drone pilot when, when drones were just uh, infancy. And I became a drone test pilot and instructor and I've uh, done that for six years. I became a, a lieutenant. And then uh, after that, I, um, you know, I did what most people do is I went uh, to school, uh, did my undergrad in computer science and master in business, uh, applied and, and completed the CISSP certification all the way back to 2001, and then ended up um, you know, applying for a job on Monster from all places as soon as I graduated and um, 
what's interesting about the person who hired me is Robert Hershevik from the Hershevik Group, uh, a serial entrepreneur who's also happened to be one of the sharks on Shark Tank. And what's amazing about the, our initial contact is that the only reason why he called me to begin was uh, begin with was because he made a lot of money from working with uh, Israeli startups in the cybersecurity space, and um, he, he had some sort of affinity to Israelis just because he he made a lot of money from it. Um, and then I ended up uh, working with him very closely for five years. Um, moved from Canada to the states and have been working with startups ever since, uh, all in the cybersecurity space. So how was it to get a, a call from Hertzovic himself <laughs> you know, to go through that interview process? <laughs> you know, what's very, very interesting is that at the time, uh, you know, it wasn't a celebrity yet, right? He, right. He was, he was a millionaire. He sold his, uh, his previous company called uh, Brack Systems uh, to AT&T Allstream at the time. And I believe he had his own racing team, um, you know, after retirement, you know, at very early age. And then ended up uh, going back into the security space. So, um, you know, he's really a great guy. He's a great TV personality, and uh, I can tell you, you know, he's uh, he can be quite an intimidating person, uh, but in a good way, right? He's uh, he's intense. He's very smart, very sharp, very driven. And so when when I you know had a chance to first have a conversation with him, you know, face to face, I said, listen, you know, I. You know, I, I need a job. I am very driven. I would love to to work for you, even if I have to do that for free. Uh, I just want to learn from from you and your your uh, you know your team here. Uh, and and by the way, the team was very small. It was like basically five of us when I joined. Uh, but long story short, he uh, he gave me a chance. I need, I never had to uh, to work for free for the guy, but ended up working with him very closely for for quite some time. So you have this process that you go through, all these decisions that you have to make along you know, career, just like everybody else, right? And what do you do and how do you pivot and, you know, and, and how do you manage your career sort of? So looking back on all the things that you've done, if you knew what you, you know today, would you have done anything different than when you started your career? Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. So, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Sure. Um, you know, I think certain traits, uh, you know, are, are cardinal to be successful. And I think these traits are actually important for, for everything in life, not just in, in cybersecurity or cybersecurity career, right? So it, for me, you know, it's all about continuous learning, right? So you have to be curious. You have to be eager to look into, you know, technical uh, questions and examine them, right, from, from all sides. So always be learning. So the fact of the matter, you know, even though I completed my computer science degree years ago, I'm always learning it, and the industry has changed so much. Um, you also have to have, uh, you know, awareness of, of the entire industry as a whole, right? So I think for me specifically, you know, I was siloed or, you know, put yeah, in, in, the, in the bucket of being, you know, a sales guy uh, in the cybersecurity space, uh, which I've done very well. I've done very well for myself, but I would love to, you know, be given the opportunity to move into a more technical role. And I think if I've, I would have known that now, I would have taken the technical route and perhaps, um, you know, moved from, from the vendor side into the enterprise space. Um, but again, it's all about, um, you know, the continuous learning, being able to adapt, and then, um, you know, just, just, just create that network for yourself of uh, people uh, like yourself, George, mentors, uh, people that you value uh, in, in cybersecurity and, and keep close to them. 
Speaking of networking, you're the founder of the New York Information Security Meetup Group, and I think you mentioned it earlier. That was that was actually the event that I went and was interviewed by you and your team, and uh, I had a fantastic time. There's, there's always great people there. Um, these are wonderful events, and this is the largest independent security group in the country that meets in person, I believe, on a regular basis, right? And I think it's since January of what 2013. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah so, how did how did you create this? I mean, uh, massive organization, really, and and get people to continuously come back and adding that value and having these events. And what are you what are you looking to achieve with with this organization? Uh, that's a great question, George. And and uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. People always ask me, how do I got, how did I get to 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 have the group that large, you know, uh, so I'll reveal a little bit about myself. So what happened is all the way back to mid 2012, yeah, you know, I had to get out of the house. Uh, you know, my mother-in-law was coming and I didn't quite get along with her. So, <laughs> and, so I, I looked up on a meetup.com and this is a true story. You know, now she's my ex-mother-in-law. That's, that's, that's a whole different side story there. Uh, but I ended up, um, Attending a enterprise tech meetup uh, headed by John Lair, who was at the time was uh, was at Morgan Stanley, and I really enjoyed it. I said, "Hey, how can I help you?" And I ended up uh, doing some of the photography and videography and helping uh, organize that event for four and a half years. But six months into it, I said, "Well, hold on for a second. I I, I do cybersecurity, uh, combining the fact that I was more interested in cybersecurity than anything else, and I had a passion for it." Uh, I also attended a couple of the, you know, the, the different industry, you know, standard events, uh, the ISSA, OWASP, and so on. And, and I found those to be very technical and a little bit of stuffy at the time. Uh, and I said, well, you know, it's got to be a better way. And I, I went ahead and, and started, um, you know, this, this organization, the, the organization, and I've started these events and been continuously and constantly doing that since, uh, since 2013. And I have to tell you, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of effort, right? Coming out with the speakers and, and um, the content uh, month over month is not an easy task. Um, also, it's all about value, right? So, you know, what I'm trying to achieve, you know, doing hosting these events, and by the way, the, the, we have over 5,000 members now, and it's definitely uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, you know, physical, uh, you know, cybersecurity events in, in, uh, in the country. Um, what I'm trying to achieve is the, to give back to the community, allow people to learn something new, right? This first and foremost, it has to have uh, value, right? In terms of showing up is, uh, is one thing, but learning something new in this space. And, and most cybersecurity professionals, again, they're, they're siloed, right? So if you do endpoint security or you do network security or you operate in a SOC, um, odds are you're not exposed to, you know, other areas within, within cyber. And so you have the ability to come to my events and, and learn something new either from vendor content or, you know, from fireside chats, uh, like the one I did with you or, or you know, uh, security panels and so on. And then secondly, it's all about having fun doing it, right? So, you know, these events are after hours between six to eight typically. Um, it allows you to, to mingle, network, uh, you know, uh, rub shoulders with people uh, from your space. And it allows also people who, who are not necessarily in the industry, but they want to get in, uh, let's say, new graduates or, or people that are doing IT work and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and then they're trying to get into the cyberspace. It allows these folks to, um, 
you know, to, to again, to, to get exposed to other areas within cybersecurity. So, what, you know, again, it's, this is uh, my way to give back. And again, it's all about value. And then uh, I have to tell you again, once, once again, it's, it's, it started with the friends and family with, you know, getting a difficulty to, to get 20 to 25 people registered to now ever, you know, having over 200 to 250 people registered to these events and having over 150 to 175 people actually attend these events. So, um, you know, very successful, but it was all about consist, you know, consistency and, and again, value and content. So this is kind of an amazing story because it, when I listen to you speak, it's more about, hey, look, you know, hey, look, I really like doing this. You know, how can I help out? How can I, what can I do? Right. And this is like my way to give back. These are the words that you use. I, I don't, I don't find that to be the norm in, in the industry. And I think uh, if people took that approach more often, they'd probably see things come around back to them uh, in a different way. Right. I mean, this has been, this has served you very well. Um, I would say, right. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I put a lot of effort, you know, uh, you know, sweating tears into it and trust me, you know, creating these events is a very stressful, uh, Oh, I know. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Uh, and I can, I can tell you a bunch of stories uh, over, uh, you know, over a beer or two of what happened to me during, during this, you know, the past seven or eight years, but yeah, definitely, uh, stressful, but well worth it. And again, it's, it's, um, you know, the one thing I'll mention as well, it's, it's, I think this industry, you know, needs more, you know, face-to-face interactions. You know, we are, we're a bit of a negative industry as a whole. And, you know, I, I would love to have an environment which is kind of a safe environment, happy environment where people come in and, and, and mingle. And it's not all about, uh, you know, oh, you know, what's the latest and the greatest in cybersecurity, but also enjoy, you know, enjoy yourself, um, you know, while doing it. No doubt, no doubt. So, uh, you know, this is... Um you know, you have these once a month, right? And where, yes. where, where, are the, where are the venues? I mean, is it the same venue all the time or is it a different venue each month depending on the size of the crowd or how does it work? Yeah, you know, I, excuse me, I used to have, uh, you know, same, same location, but they unfortunately moved offices um, to a smaller space. Uh, so now I'm a bit of a nomad, but, um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, uh, I combined forces with uh, people uh, in industry like David Spark, who's a, is a genius marketer in the cybersecurity space. Um, going to be hosting an event in September in uh, sponsorship with uh, with uh, We Company at WeWork in the Times Square. Um, I'm going to be um, hosting um, another event in September uh, with uh, Reed, uh, one of the leading uh, um, uh, leading legal groups in the country. Uh, so there's no there's no lack of, of space. It's all about uh, you know finding the the right you know, sponsors and, and finding the right locations for people to, uh, to be able to, uh, to attend. And again, this, because these events are, are so large, it's, it's sometimes becoming quite a challenge to find the right space. No, I'm, I'm sure it is. And uh, so look, you've been around, you, you've, you've worked for several different companies. You've sort of paved your own way. You know, you're out there, you know, hitting the pavement and doing what you need to do to make, create opportunities for yourself. What would you recommend for other people wanting to get into the cybersecurity space? Uh, yeah, so specifically, you know, I'm a, I'm a startup guy, right? So, you know, I have, I, I tell people that I live like dog years in terms of, of being in the cybersecurity, you know, startup space. And, uh, uh, you know, so first, my, my first recommendation is, if, uh, you know, if you're thinking about joining a, a startup in the cybersecurity space, don't, okay? 
<laughs> you know, think, you know, think about very closely if you have the tenacity um, and, and real, you know, real passion to do it because you, you're going to realize, you know, very quickly that uh, it's not all glamorous and uh, the odds are against you. Um, you know, in terms of joining it, you know, again, it's all it's all about passion. It's all about having you know the right team uh, is is part of it. The kind of the group that you can rely on and, and grow the business, and um, it, you know, it's all about picking the right one. And, and there's really no, um, I would say, you know, kind of the crystal ball. Again, the hindsight is always twenty twenty. The, the the companies that you see, the vendors you see are successful, or you know, few and far between. Uh, and I've I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of folks uh, trying to jump in with two feet into a startup thinking they're going to make millions, you know, with stock options and so on, only to find out that the startup is uh, low on funds. It's about to um, run out, you know, run out of money and, and get out of, you know, be out of business in a few months. Um, so, you know, I, I think first and foremost, follow your passion. If you're really passionate about cybersecurity uh, and you want to contribute, you know, the, the startup space is, is the way to do it because again, you have the ability to pave your own way. And what's also interesting about that is at a startup, everything do, everybody does everything, you know, so you don't have, uh, you know, a real defined set of roles and responsibilities, right? I'm talking about startups that are in the, you know, pre-seed money or like, you know, Series A, uh, everybody does everything, right? So if, if I needed to grab a coffee and donuts, uh, you know, during a, a POC and then go out and install a, a box on site, then I will do both things. Is this you know the roles are diminished, um, and it's you know it's a great thing, right? For for learning, you know, learning and then having those experiences, it's a, it's a phenomenal, um, phenomenal phenomenal opportunity to to grow yourself personally. Um, but again, it's it's not without risk. Uh, you know, I highly recommend looking at your financials and and see if you have the ability to uh, you know sustain. Uh, you know, low income, you know, high stress and, uh, you know, for a while if, you, if you're able to do that. So, you know, this industry pretty well. Who's doing security very well? What companies, uh, what type of people are doing security real, real well, in your opinion? Is there any kind of anything that comes to mind? Yeah. So, first of all, uh, again, you know, trying to be as positive as possible about this industry. So, I, I, I can tell you, despite the fact that you know, we see these, uh, you know, breach, uh, left, right, and center, you know, breach announcement for millions of records and so on. You know, you have to think about that. We actually, you know, we have, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of financials in, in the U.S. alone, right? And the majority of them, you know, do security well. We, we don't hear a lot of, um, you know, considering the amount of, A, the companies that are doing financials, and B, the high visibility and the, you know, the amount of, of, of targets that, you know, that these, uh, you know, adversaries or threat actors are, are, are targeting these companies. So if you look at these two and the high ratio of, of uh, the high surface and the large surface of, of attack, these companies, um, relatively speaking, you know, the financials are, are doing, you know, quite well, you know, despite, you know, the, the, you know, the sky is falling and the news, you know, the grim news that we, we are exposed to every day. Um, I also think that there are, you know, there are, I would say, top, you know, 10 CISOs um, in, in the U.S. that embrace security and embrace startups in, in the security space and, and embrace innovation. And 
you know, these folks uh, have, have stuck their neck out and, um, and have always, you know, come to the forefront of, of information security. And, you know, I can mention, for example, Jim Routh, uh, you know, the former CISO of Aetna. Sure. Who's always, uh, you know, been an embracer of, of innovation. Um, you know, they're, uh, you know, Phil Venable uh, from Goldman Sachs, who's yep. uh, left uh, Goldman. There's quite a few folks that are, you know, really at the top of the game in terms of, of cybersecurity. And, and again, it's not easy. They have, you know, high visibility uh, and it's a high, you know, very high stress job. All right, folks, we've got to transition to a commercial break. But hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio and you'll be connected to the TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the Director of Sales Threat Intelligence for Looking Glass and the founder of the New York Information Security Meetup Group, David Raviv. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at Sock Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snort detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from Sock Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.sockprime.com with promo code radio 2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com promo code radio 2019. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. 
with forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the director of sales threat intelligence for Looking Glass and the founder of the New York Information Security Meetup Group, David Raviv. So, David, you know, we were talking about uh, during the break that uh, there's a lot of problems in cybersecurity and uh, there's definitely some gaps uh, that, that uh, a lot of people are experiencing, whether it's in technology uh, or, or the proper solutions to meet some of these, you know, comprehensive challenges that we have. Um, what are some of the gaps that you see in cybersecurity now and also into the future? Like how are things going to play out over the next three years? So that's the, uh, you know, the million dollar question, right? Um, and, and it's funny being in the industry for a while now, you can see some of these, uh, you know, th- these gaps have been around for a while. So, you know, uh, companies are complaining of lack of uh, qualified cybersecurity pro- uh, professionals, right? I remember back in 2000, 2001, uh, you can hear that on the radio where they say, well, there's, there's a 1 million unfulfilled IT and IT security jobs out there. So this is a, something that continues uh, to, uh, to, I guess, uh, weigh on enterprise. Um, and, and again, I don't know if it's so much a, a, you know, a real gap or luck, lack of funding, which is kind of the next, uh, next point, uh, lack of appropriate funding. So 
you know, appropriate personnel and qualified personnel is always available. It, it depends on what cost. And again, if you're in New York City uh, enterprise, you pay premium to some of these qualified professionals. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, you know, they are available, but again, they're, they might be expensive, you know, for somebody who has the, the experience and, and has the, the clout in the industry, uh, they, they do not come cheap. What do you think about that? I mean, I see a lot of jobs leaving New York City. I see a lot of people complaining about it, too. There seems to be a mass exodus, really, in terms of the job opportunities uh, on all levels. Um, operational, the operational jobs especially, um, you know, the, the, it, when people see program jobs, uh, they say, okay, well, if I have to pay, you know, uh, 150000 for this program, uh, manager, or I can pay 120000 110000 for the same program in, in, in Tampa or, or someplace in Texas, which, you know, even Arizona, some of these places have been uh, moving to. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, how does this all play out in the end? And is it good for New York? Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree with you. Plus, you know, with the, uh, you know, some of the train scheduling issues and, and mass mass transit uh, that's, uh, you know, not quite as available as some other cities, um, you know, I would say that the way to deal with it in enterprise you need to become more flexible in terms of, of allowing people to, to work from home and work remotely. Um, you know, commuting an hour, two hours to the city every day um, because you, you want your, your family to grow up in a nice area, you know, with a lot of greenery is uh, it's not something you like to do. Um, and I think the kind of the remote uh, working scheduling, flexible life, life work schedule will, will uh, will uh you know allow people to you know stay in new york but i i agree with you it's it's becoming a bit of a ridiculous so you know the amount of money that you get paid in new york uh you know considering the the life uh you know the cost of of living is um is not great you know that ratio is not great and, and people are moving yeah and there aren't really that many jobs opening in new york compared to other parts of the country I mean, there really are. There really isn't the opportunity there used to be. I mean, companies are moving jobs by the tens of thousands into these other states, yeah, and even out of the out of the country, right? I mean, people yeah. standing up centers of excellence in India and Philippines, right? Right. It's kind of happening all over, right? And not only, and, and David, I like to. Do you see people actually managers actually being able to say, uh, or actually implementing these work from home? Uh, schedules that are flexible, these flexible work, because I don't see it. I don't well, see it. I, you know, I see a partial move to that. So, you know, people are allowed to maybe uh, potentially work from home, like let's say Monday and Friday, and then the rest of the time they have to, to commute in. Um, it, you know, it, it is still a challenge. And you, are, you, need, you hit the nail on the head. Some of the operational work um, is really hard to fulfill. You know, these, these uh, you know, increased workload on the SOC, Security Operations Center, um, you know, because of the the teams are trying to keep up with the escalating threats, um, it, you know, it's very challenging. And I think you know some of these people are just you know worn out. They 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 worn out. And they, yeah, and people work through their commutes too. If you actually let them work from home, they'll actually work, and they just won't waste that time, right? A lot of times they'll work, and they're more productive at home uh, when they work from home than they are when they have to actually travel into work and spend you know two to four hours on the road. And I you know we did a study when I was over at J P Morgan Chase. And we did an analysis on our most productive work days and our, uh, one of the days that people most likely work from home. We had some flex schedules and, of course, we managed it so that everybody doesn't work from home on the same day. But we just, you know, when are the people there? How many, what's the ratio of people in the office as opposed to out of the office? And then what are the production rates during those specific days? And we found 
that during the days of the highest, uh, that were the highest uh, telecommute days at home, that we were the most productive, you know, especially in, in an operational space where someone's making the donuts, right? And I brought this to uh, the attention of some folks, and they didn't care. The, the, the immediate managers, they didn't care. They wanted everybody to be in the office at the time. We just happened to be switching managers, and the new manager said, you know, this is what we're going to do. The new leader said, we're all going to work in the office. I, and and his, his quote to me was, I've never seen anybody be more productive at home than they were in the office ever. <laughs> Which is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. It, you is, know, it is ridiculous, and it's very old school. Again, if you, <laughs> yes, you know, because you know what, you're telling me you can't hide in an enterprise. Like, I mean, all you have to do is just, uh, you know, go into meetings and smile and nod and just be there. You don't necessarily have to work. Uh, in fact, I think if you work remotely, most times, you know, your performance, that's all matters. You know, your deliverables, uh, deliverables and, and the, you know, what you bring to the table matters most because you actually don't have the, uh, the ability to show your face and, and be uh, hang out by the water cooler. Uh, so, but I think eventually because of the lack of uh, resources, that will dictate, uh, you know, additional flexibility for some of these organizations. Hey, George, I think it'd be interesting to do a show, maybe David, Dave, you'll get your take on like the idea of, you know, fusion centers on-prem versus virtual socks, right? If we think more productive from home, it's less stressful, people's, your employees' quality of life goes up. Do the benefits of being co-located in one environment outweigh the productivity? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be interesting. I mean, I don't know that in a, in, a, in a SOC environment, in an environment where you actually have to bring, you know, people that, look, a SOC, a SOC is not a fusion center, but it is part of the fusion center. Someone from the SOC sits in the fusion center, but it still has that uh, fusion center feel to me where it's like a task force, right? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you're on the CTF, I mean, you have the task force, everybody's sort of in the same room in the collaboration, but how many, maybe it's a, maybe it's a combination of things, but you're right. Maybe like we should you know, do a show on that maybe and, and get some people in here to talk about that because this is like a really big topic. Um, everyone's moving to these, uh, to these, uh, these workspaces now where there's no offices, no one has an office, everybody's on the floor and you know, clearly, Everyone hates it. It's all cyclical as well, like everything else, right? All of a sudden, you know, it's like moving to the cloud and back again on the on premise. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're having flexible work hours, life balance, and then we're coming back to, to, hey, I want to see you in the office every day. You know, it's, it's, you know, these things are cyclical. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it is cyclical. And, but in this whole new floor plan that people are implementing, and I think a lot of executives are losing face with their employees because no one buys it that it's just, Hey, we, you know, this is, this is more uh, conducive to a, a collaborative environment. Um, we're going to be able to talk more to people and that might be true to some respect, but in terms of uh, the satisfaction and, and having you know, the room to do your work um, uh, and have these sensitive conversations, some of them are compliance issues. There's internal issues with employees. Um, there's management issues that people are talking about all the time. And it's just, there's no privacy whatsoever on these, uh, these floors. And anyway, we, we're getting a little bit off into a tangent. I'm taking us down a rabbit hole. But I mean, it's just, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in, in this space are very unhappy with this kind, of, this kind of stuff. But it all goes back to, you know, where, do, where are the companies that are attracting the talent in the, in the cybersecurity space? And this, this, of course, plays into it. Now, everybody likes to hear a story. And my audience loves stories, like I told you before. Can you tell us of a, a professional win in your career and maybe even a loss? 
that you've experienced that uh, you, you think the, employee, uh, the, the audience can benefit from? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I start with personal loss, and, you know, this is something that I, you know, I reveal a glimpse of my, my personal life. And, and again, you know, I mentioned that, you know, you should consider joining startups and it's something that's, uh, you know, not for everyone. So I did. You know, I did. I, I, I was working at startups uh, basically since inception, basically, since I graduated with a computer science degree. And, um, you know, I, I would say that I've, uh, you know, it's kind of professional and personal, right? I paid the price for it, right? Because, again, I, uh, you know, no risk, no reward type of thing. So I joined startups that were not necessarily uh, always successful and ended up, um, you know, I would say behind behind the eight ball a few times, right? So uh, I remember like just basically being on a, an assignment in uh, North Carolina somewhere um, at a customer's site, and then I got a phone call basically from my from my boss saying, "Hey, you know what? I know you're in midst of an assignment and you have a flight tomorrow morning, but uh, I'm sorry to tell you, you're unemployed since uh, you know since this moment." And I said, "Well, why did you just wait until I get home?" To, to tell me about it. So, well, you know, we ran out of funds and uh, we had to lay off one third of our workforce. And, um, and essentially we just didn't want to pay you the extra day. Uh, so that's, that's a kind of a, you know, a personal loss for me. Wow. And I, again, I took the risk um, and it hasn't always paid off. Uh, but again, if you're passionate about something, you overcome these and you, you overcome the adversity and, and uh, you know, you become more resilient over time. And have uh, you know almost grow a tenacity uh, that comes with uh, working in this in the cybersecurity and startup uh, space in general. Um, and a personal win is the you know the flip side of that is that uh, I joined a company that was pre-seed money, uh, just you know basically four guys in the garage type of thing. Uh, moved and revamped uh, the product offering, um, you know, kind of pivoted from from. Uh, a cybersecurity offering to the consumer to large enterprise managed to very quickly within six months get first 10 clients, uh, large enterprise clients, and then uh, subsequently uh, getting a $15 million uh, round of funding. Uh, so that was a you know, very, uh, you know, very enlightening process and basically just uh, gave me a lot of, um, you know, courage to continue in, in doing what I do. That's great. If you could do anything you wanted to do and you had a choice to do any, anything, what would it be? I mean, there's 12 different domains in cybersecurity. I'm not even sure if you know, the answer is even in cybersecurity, to be honest with you. I'm just throwing no, this out no, there. But no, what would you do? So I would love to. So, you know, I have a passion to everything remote control, right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's you know, I've, I've, I still do that um, as a hobby. And, uh, you know, despite doing that, you know, for a living for about six years, flying uh, UAVs on many area vehicles and drones for a living, um, I would combine the two. So I would still do a startup. I would create my own startup, uh, you know, cybersecurity, you know, physical security, the physical security domain and run um, perhaps a, um, you know, kind of a drone, uh, drone security company. Uh, but you know what they say, you know, if you, uh, if, how do you create a $1 million drone security company, right? You, you start with 2 million. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that sounds interesting though. I mean, whenever you combine cybersecurity with some of these other domains, things get real, real fascinating quick. And so, um, look, uh, you spent years in these startup spaces, um, 
you know, you gave somebody, you gave the audience obviously something to think about if they're willing to join the, uh, the, the, a startup. Are there any other experiences that really come to mind uh, just to get down a little bit deeper into it and like in your, uh, in your career uh, that you want to share with us about that or? Yeah, absolutely. And some of this advice is, uh, you know, through for general, you know, startup, but I, I would focus on, uh, you know, the security and cybersecurity era, which, which I was part of uh, all those years. Um, so the cyberspace is extremely noisy. Right, you know, all you have to do is, uh, you know, visit uh, Black Hat or, or RSA. There are thousands, if not tens of thousands, of vendors. Uh, so breaking through the noise is a is a critical thing for every every startup, but I think even more so in in cyber. Um, and uh, you know, there's no managed b- bullet in terms of how to do that. Um, I have some ideas, you know, just from my, my experience, and I can share those uh, later on. Uh, what you need to do is you need to build credibility, right? So personal credibility is everything in the space, right? You got to manage that uh, your personal brand, but also your, you know, your credibility brand, who you are, and what you contribute to the space. Um, the last thing I mentioned is uh, reaching decision maker, and I guess that's a kind of relates to the first one, breaking through the noise, um, and kind of. You know, I guess also relate to building credibility. I think building that personal network of uh, of um, you know cybersecurity uh, professionals and advisors that you can reach out to and and get some help uh, in advice and also potentially um, get a referral to to different companies and enterprises is critical. Um, that's that's kind of the, the three top things that come to mind. Uh, and it, and again, it's all about tenacity, right? How how do you continue? Uh, getting up every morning and, and getting rejected over and over again because, um, you know, the cyberspace and cybersecurity space, uh, especially for the startup uh, you know, communities, it's just not something that's easy. So I think there's a lot of challenges here in the cybersecurity space because of the competition. And I think a lot of people say there's a bubble. I think one of the, uh, one of the actually one of the, the, the sharks on Shark Tank, you know, Mark Cuban often speaks about a bubble in, in this space. Um, what do you think about the, how, how convoluted the market is and what are the challenges for these startup companies? I mean, you said, look, the odds are against you. You said, you know, earlier today, I mean, what did you mean by that? And, and obviously the competition's huge, but there's so many obstacles to success and not too many people really succeed. What do you, what do you see in that space? What, what's your opinion? Yeah. You know, it's, um, the reason why a lot of companies don't succeed is I, I think that first and foremost, they're not serious. They're not that serious about it, right? Um, you know, a company that receives, you know, 15, 20 million, the first thing they do is, uh, you know, to buy a, a massage chair, you know, for the office and a ping pong table. Um, you know, they're not serious about this and they, you know, about being successful. Um, and also, you know, a lot of them get stretched out in terms of, of what they're trying to deliver. I think if, uh, like anything else, you've got to focus on one area, one gap within the cybersecurity space and, and focus on that. Uh, and then, you know, basically, uh, you know, under-promise and over-deliver, right? So that's something you, you continuously have to do. Um, and, um, you know, and again, this is not, not for everyone, uh, but there are opportunities despite the kind of the grim statistics that, uh, you know, most, most companies don't even survive, you know, the first, the first round or basically don't ever get the first round. Uh, I think it's the numbers are like one out of a hundred, basically. Um, you, get you to, know, to, get to a C round or to an A round? No, to uh, basically an A round. I think right. it's just, the numbers are very grim. 
Um, Andy, but, note, note to self, skip the massage chair. Cancel. Cancel that order. I'll get on a horn right now. Make sure. <laughs> How about this? We'll just get one instead of five. <laughs> hey, George, see if you can uh, get a, a, you know, get it, uh, you know, refund it if you, if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Send it back. The shipping cost is going to be high, but... <laughs> But regardless. Oh man! So um, one in a hundred only get to the A round, huh? You think is that is that uh, or something like that, right? Or yeah, something like that. It's, it's terrible numbers, but again, it's it's uh, you know if you're passionate about it, and uh, you know it's almost like you have to be like Valdez, right? You got to burn the ships down. There's no option B. Um, if you ever read uh, Startup Nation, it's all about uh, you know failing fast um, and having the ability to to also pivot. Right. If you start and you uh, if you can't get to a minimum viable product MVP and get a couple of uh, of customers to pay for a pilot you know, within the first, you know, six to nine months, drop it, you know, move, moves, you know, do something else. Right. Don't don't stick around and just say, hey, you know, uh, think that you what do you have is the best thing ever, you know, since a slice of bread. It's it's, uh, you know, I, I find most companies uh, or most uh, entrepreneurs, they they get uh, enamored right by their own ideas. Right, they 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 don't have the ability to let go, uh, which which is I think it's really important, and uh, know where to uh, uh, walk away. It's just as important as to know where where to uh, invest the money in it. So what you're saying is we got to be Al Pacino in heat. <laughs> get close, don't get close, too close to something you can't walk away from in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would say I would say that's the case, and it's it's hard when you leave and breathe this. Um, you know, your, the topic of expertise and, and uh, you know, your passion every day, it's, it's very tough to walk away. It's De Niro, it's De Niro bro. It's De Niro. Uh, you know, I got I to take my way my Guido badge. <laughs> that's that's De Niro. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> these new, these new te technologies that are coming out, I mean, how do, how do enterprises uh, embrace these new technologies in terms of, you know, risk and, and actually getting even exposed to them? Um, or, and do you find that they're willing to – uh, engage these new cybersecurity startups? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is a really interesting question because large enterprise has a lot of, you know, traditionally has been, especially financials, right? Traditionally has been, has an, has been um, you know, quite cumbersome and has a lot of red tape, especially when involving into, uh, you know, sourcing and purchasing and uh, the whole supply chain management thing, right? Um, they are... Uh, you know, with that said, they are embracing innovation today, and they're doing it a couple of different ways. Uh, one is developing their own innovation uh, centers, right, where uh, there's budget set aside uh, to invest in companies, whether through um, incubators that they sponsor or, uh, you know, sponsor competitions of sorts, uh, you know, providing some seed money and funding for, for these entrepreneurs. Um, also, they they potentially can go out and, and partner with these companies. But you know, um, again, it, it's it's always been a challenge, right? How do you you know you're a, a multi billion dollar organization, you know how do you make sure that you when you engage a startup, how do you you know make sure that you don't kill them, right? With with your uh, demands and and overpower it <laughs> because you know joking aside, you know I've seen startups that went belly up by by accepting a contract. Uh, from a, from a large enterprise, just they just could not fulfill, right? Because uh, all of a sudden they they, they had uh, meetings upon meetings upon meetings, and the um, you know there's there's a requirement creep, uh, you know scope creep that happened uh, very quickly, and they realized that the the amount of money they received for that project was not nearly enough, you know, for them to uh, to move ahead and and, and grow their business. 
Wow. That's something that I haven't heard before on the show. And I think that's very interesting. You know, companies, startup companies who've actually accepted the wrong contract. You yep. think you landed the big one, you landed the bear, right? The elephant in the room and then boom, you know, you yeah. go down, right? That's right. just. Yeah. The bear escaped. And it yeah, the bear escaped. yeah, it started running in your, in your living room. And then what do you do next? You know, how do you, how do you deal with it? This is, this is right. a real problem. So you got a, a great deal of experience in the sales space too. And no doubt we got a lot of folks listening that are in the sales space. Um, can you give us a few do's and don'ts on the trade? Because this is a really tough business, man. Sales is hard. It's hard, especially in cybersecurity. I mean, the, the competition out there is fierce. What are the biggest hurdles? What, do you, what would you suggest and what kind of advice do you have to give? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. Um, you know, one thing is it's all about reputation, right? So make sure that your reputation goes beyond your existing role. You know, I always tell people, hey, you know, you might see me here next year wearing a different golf shirt, right? What's then? Are you, are you still going to buy from me? Are you still going to be willing to deal with me? And, and uh, you know, Robert Hershevik used to say that the closest you can get to a person without sleeping with them is to sell them something, right? And you can, and I hope that's the right quote. <laughs> if not, I, had we'll go, I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's the ultimate vote of trust, right? So right. You, you have to contribute to the industry. You've got to build a reputation. Um, You've got to become one of them. So you, 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 you have to make that commitment. And by, by that commitment, I say you have to learn, you know, continuously learn and continu continuously improve your skill set. So when you speak to them, you speak at an eye level. And, you know, these, these folks, these um, – you know, these uh, professionals, right? The cybersecurity professional work in this large enterprise, they're, they're no, uh, no monkeys, right? They, they can detect fake almost from, from the inception, right? As soon as you say something that is wrong or you are unsure of or you claim it to be true. Yeah, we're using all these buzzwords you don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you're done. And, and, and building trust takes a long time. You know, breaking it is almost instant. What kind of unseen opportunities do you see in the cybersecurity space right now? If, if you're uh, an investor in cybersecurity or if you're interested in getting in cybersecurity, wh where's the place to get into? What, what domain, what technology, what do you see? Yeah, so, you know, a couple of things, uh, you know, and I don't have the crystal ball, but I, I can tell you, um, which is really interesting. So in the past eight years, I've had, I would say, probably 60, 70 vendors present in my group. And out of those vendors, I've had, I believe, eight startups that got acquired uh, for the total over $3 billion in, in total acquisitions. And I can name a few, like, uh, you know, OpenDNS, uh, ThreatGrid, uh, Duo Security, Errato, companies that presented at very, very early stages of my group and, and became uh, successful and they got acquired. And it's funny, I get the phone call afterwards. Hey, congratulations. You know, I, uh, I just saw that uh, so-and-so got acquired. I said, well, you know, the fact that they presented doesn't necessarily mean that they, um, you know, they were part of my group doesn't necessarily mean that I uh, have a stake in the business. But thank you anyway uh, for the congratulations. So I don't have a crystal ball, but um, I can tell you that, um, you know, from a recent uh, uh, The Economist uh, article that uh, data is now becoming more valuable than oil. And you can see that the most successful um, companies in the world, actually all, all they do is collect data. Uh, we're becoming a more and more so a knowledge-based economy. The, 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 um, 
the vendors that are going to be protecting that data uh, in, in such a way that they uh, a protect the privacy uh, of individuals, but also make sure that the data is does not leak, will continue to dominate, right? Um, and there are new technologies that are coming down the pipe, like uh, you know artificial intelligence that's uh, you know come to mind, uh, even quantum computing, um, you know uh, profiling of uh, you know uh, baseline of profiling, uh, you know something that again is is becoming more and more prevalent, um, especially we're trying to deal with uh, insider risk. Um, but again, it's it's all about solving a problem that is universal. You know, the, the market has to be there, like in terms of uh, market size. So, you know, solving a minuscule problem is, uh, you know, for a company X is not not that profitable. Uh, but there's a lot of areas, like you know, uh, uh, you know, um, we we have uh, Internet of Things, right? So and 5G. Right. All, all those new technologies are, are requiring additional security measures. If, if uh, certain attacks uh, weren't uh, you know, available when there was a 4G, now with 5G, it's of course almost like a, you know, uh, seamless. Right? You can attack almost anything, uh, brute force attack or DDoS or whatever the case may be. So, so with new technologies you know, come new opportunities. And, and I think that they, there are a lot of those. You just need to, um, again, you know, find the right founders, um, you know, make sure that there's traction. If you know the founders don't have the background to to match it, make sure that they have attraction, and and then also, um, you know, make sure they solve a real problem, and it's not uh, as I mentioned to you a uh, a hobby or or a lifestyle business. Hey, right, David, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, the director of sales threat intelligence for Looking Glass, and the founder of the New York Information Security Meetup Group. David Raviv. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. 
Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Director of Sales Threat Intelligence for Looking Glass and the founder of the New York Information Security Meetup Group, David Raviv. So, David, who are the early employees in your startup? You know, how do you, how do you hire them? Like, how do you look for these early employees? What do you look for? Because this is a special type of person. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's funny because I, I truly believe that every stage of a startup requires, you know, different skill set and different type of individual. So, um, you know, when you get to $100 million of revenue, uh, you know, the type of individuals that you're hiring are completely different than the one that you need when you're, you know, the first million, right? Um, you know, so for me, you know, it's all about passion, right? It's first and foremost, the ability to get up in the morning, you know, get like, you know, four cents, um, you know, payroll, which I did for quite some time, Um and it's a completely different story, but I, I used to receive uh, a just works no- notification saying, congratulations, you got paid. <laughs> and then it shows four cents, you know, 0. 0.004 um, dollars. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's automation fail, but it's a whole different type of conversation. But, you know, somebody who's passionate about has the skill set. Um, and then uh, when I say skill set is, you know, if they are required to be told what to do, you know, the startup phase, then it's not somebody you want. Because, you know, the thing is, the startup environment, uh, with cybersecurity, otherwise, it's always unstructured, right? It's always, you're not exactly sure what you're going to do when you uh, get into the office, right? Um, You have to be self-driven and just, uh, you know, go ahead and just do what needs to be done uh, without, you know, you know, with very limited supervision. So that's that's the the one thing I I would say. And then the last thing is a, you know, a, uh, team fit, right? How, how do you make sure that the, the, you know, these, these folks are a good fit for you? I, I would always say, Hey, you know, if you get stuck at the airport, right. And you have a, a four hour or five hour layover, are you going to be bummed about it, about hanging out with that person or is somebody that you feel that, um, 
you know, you can share that time and, and that, that time is going to fly and you're going to enjoy it. Uh, so that's a huge difference, right? When you go on business trips, especially, especially when they're hard trips to go and, and there, you have a lot to do and, and you're busy. I mean, going with people that you actually want to be around, you enjoy being around, you learn from, it's like a good trip. And then being around folks that you, it's almost painful to you know, be next to them. That's a huge difference. You're right. I mean, so I guess it's, it's, it's have, does it doesn't have to do with personality and, and culture fit more than anything. Yeah, it's a human element, right? It's just, um, you know, that chemistry. And, and I'm talking about business chemistry, nothing, nothing personal here, right? Uh, but yeah, business chemistry. Basically, you know, do you like to hang out with that person? Do they get you, right? right. Uh, you know, they, you know, is somebody that, you know, laughs at your jokes, you know, despite being, you know, nerdy jokes or whatever the case may be. But no, but seriously, it's just a, it's as simple as, as uh, you know, this, this type of chemistry. Uh, and then you, you, you know that right away, right? I mean, it's not something that um, it can, can be learned. And you, you either have it without person or you don't. What advice can you provide these enterprises who want to engage these startup cybersecurity companies? Uh, you know, so I would say, you know, something that's kind of uh, overlooked, I think, a lot of times is, you know, to think local, right? Um, you mentioned New York City. New York, New York City and, and some of the other uh, large uh, metropolitan areas have a lot of um, great, you know, cybersecurity startup talent and, and companies out there. And I think the proximity, the local proximity really counts. You know, the ability to walk into their office or have them walk to your office and, and hang out, um, you know, makes, it, makes a big difference. Uh, the other thing I'll mention is to perform your due diligence like you would do with any other company or a partner. Uh, so look at, uh, who, you know, who these folks are, uh, where they come from, you know, how do they, for example, what's the development process like, uh, you know, what the support cycles like, you know, what's the update cycle like, um, you know, all these are important in general, but even more so in a, in a startup phase. Uh, the other thing is I mentioned as, um, as you may be aware, a lot of these companies end up being acquired, right? So you know, uh, I would just take that into consideration, right? So you're about to work with a company uh, and a talent that might, you know, join a larger company. And you know how these acquisitions are, you know, the first three months they tell you, oh yeah, keep on doing what you're doing. And then, you know, after three months, the shit hits the fan and, uh, you know, all these folks are, end up leaving. So that's something you have to be aware of. Um, and then the last but not least, I would mention that you have to look for, uh, you know, real use cases, right? Gaps that are, you know, specific, do not try to, you know, solve, you know, or boil the ocean, right, in, in, in the areas of cybersecurity, you know, find very specific, very niche um, areas where the, you know, the company can contribute, the startup can contribute, and then uh, and work on it and help them, you know, solve that, that uh, you know, well-defined um, area of, of the business where, where there are gaps. So how, how about when, when cybersecurity startups are trying to raise money? I mean, this is obviously one of the most volatile periods uh, of, of the company's history. And this is where, I mean, a lot of people get it wrong, right? A lot of people just get it wrong. And, and uh, so what advice do you have and, and insight can you provide for, you know, raising funds and how to go about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, again, it's a painful topic to, uh, not just in the cybersecurity, but overall in the startup space. But I think, again, this cybersecurity, despite being hot and despite money being available, and when I say money is being, being available, the numbers are there. I think that in 2017, 
there was over $7.7 billion invested in over 550 transactions. And I think this, the numbers in 2018 are similar. We're talking about $5.3 billion uh, invested. Um, and then there are you know, a great deal of change in, in areas of cybersecurity, right? There's a lot of underlying um, technology platform changes. Uh, there's move to uh, public cloud infrastructure and cloud applications. And, and I think overall, the cybersecurity industry is becoming more mature. And you could probably, George, you could probably agree with me on that. Yeah. Um, you know, so I would say the one area that you, you have to take uh, notice is, uh, you know, get transactions as quickly as possible. And I can't stress that enough, right? Get somebody to sign the dotted line, whether it's, uh, you know, $10,000 or $25,000. It doesn't matter. Get some, you know, get some uh, transaction to customers on the book as quickly as possible. Uh, find, you know, find the mentors, find the early adopters, um, the, you know, these CISOs or executives that are willing to stick their neck out and adopt new technologies as quickly as possible uh, and get them to not just tell you how great you are, you know, get them to sign the checks as quickly as possible because, uh, you know, a lot of people like come in and just, oh, that's a great idea. But then when you have to, uh, you know, they have to go to their boss and get funding for it, uh, that's a whole different story. Uh, and then the last thing I mentioned is, uh, hey, you know, fail fast. You know, get a lot of no's as quickly as possible. The last thing you want to have as a startup is um, get a maybe. You know, that's, that's the worst thing you can have. And I think that's just in general, it's just a very, um, you know, very dangerous uh, zone to be in, right? Um, you know, if investor is telling you, you know, come back, you know, some other time or have, you know, it's a maybe, just, just move on, right? There's a lot of investors out there that are looking to, to fund and there's a lot of money available out there. You just have to find the right investor, um, you know, that will be able to support you. And then the last, I guess, last, last but not least, last, last but not least, is I would say that um, where the, co- the money comes from is even more important than, than just, you know, the amount. You know, find these investors that are, you know, that specialize in cybersecurity and have the connections and have the ability to add value outside of the funding. There's a lot of uh, uh, VC funds that specialize in cybersecurity and are excellent in, in providing that support. So you think people should actually turn down funds if it's not the right investor? You know what? Uh, I would say, I would say overall, yes. I mean, I would say if, you know, because once you get funded, you know, you're a whole different ballgame. It's, it's, it's a different area. So I would, I would say I would be very careful. It's almost like you can't, you know, you can't get married to two women at once, right? You, you, have, to, you have to pick, you know, pick one. And sometimes when you get investment, um, you know, a, a, another VC fund is not going to touch you because you already got, you know, received investment. So as much as I would like to say that, you know, grab the money and run or grab the money and, and, and you know, and move on, uh, I would say, you know, think twice or, you know, be very careful in terms of where you get the uh, where you get the funds from. Um, also, in terms of what you give up in that regards, because if uh, you know if all of a sudden they're on the board and now they're telling you the company direction and they have uh, you know critical mass on the board, uh, that's also going to be quite dangerous because uh, you know you might give up a lot of control for for uh, essentially little money and also at this point of the game in the early startup phase, uh, you want to be able to uh, to control the direction of the company. So the last couple of things I want to talk about is how you've seen things change over the years and then where you see things going. So how is, how, in your mind, how has security actually evolved over the, over the next uh, or over the last few years? 
And, and how has that affected the industry and the decisions that people are making relative to cybersecurity investments and startups and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll try to, the best to, to answer this. So, you know, what I've seen is cybersecurity automation and the ability to do more with less, uh, you know, increase the, um, increase the, the automation and the lack of uh, requirement of having high-skilled individuals uh, dealing with the security issues is, is paramount, right? Um, and we see automation in all areas of, of cybersecurity, whether it's endpoint, network security, um, Internet of Things, uh, whatever else. It's, it's all about uh, doing more, uh, you know, with less. You know, the teams are over, overburdened as is. Um, and, uh, you know, if you can solve, you know, solve the problems with, uh, you know, little pains or allow, uh, you know, a small number of individuals uh, to deal with large number of incidents of, uh, is something that is, is, will continuously, uh, you know, mature and will continuously rise. Uh, so that's, that's one area. Uh, the other area where I see, uh, you know, changes is the data privacy regulations. We all see that, um, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, the GDPR is starting to get enforced in Europe. Um, you know, GDPR version in, in California is coming to, to fruition finally. And, and I, there's a lot of states that are, you know, enforcing these uh, data privacy regulations that are uh, going to become mandatory and almost like a way of life, uh, right? So it's just like buying a car, you have to buy insurance. Uh, you know, these things are coming down the pipe for, for cybersecurity as well. And, and it will bode well for, for these startups that are, um, you know, tailored and catered to, to this market. Um, you know, the other uh, thing I mentioned, which is kind of interesting, and I don't know if you've heard this before, uh, I have a good friend of mine, Kyle Aldrich, who, um, who is part of the Looking Glass uh, team here, who coined the phrase invisible invaders. And I believe it was a, uh, a title of an a, a, uh, invader uh, alien movie from the, from the 60s, but it really refers to the threat actors being uh, stealthy and global in nature. Um, and I believe that what's going to happen is organization will start to adapt and, you know, uh, gradually adopt self, uh, self tactics of their own. So, right. So, uh, you know, these tactics will include deception and invisible uh, threat mitigation, right? So, um, applications such as real time, uh, packet manipulation. So, uh, for example, you're, you know, you're going to ping a, a firewall from the outside and, the firewall, you know, the, the server will tell you, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all patched, we're all ready. And it's strictly going to be a, some sort of packet manipulation that's going to be, you know, part of that defense mechanism. Um, and then, um, you know, the last thing I mentioned is that, um, you know, what we also see is that, the, you know, we talked about it a bit about, uh, before the show, but, you know, deep, uh, deep fakes in the wild, right? Artificial intelligence uh, will start to, grow and, and play a, a, a quite a significant role in information warfare. Um, and we see that in the, uh, you know, kind of the election mind control that's happening out there. Uh, but it's something that's happening every day on, on social media and otherwise. Um, I think that that will also play a role. And again, there might be an opportunity in, in the space uh, to basically combat that in some ways, right? Uh, companies that will create uh, some tools to detect that and potentially mitigate for that. Uh, that's something that, uh, that might uh, prove lucrative as well. David, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. We got to get together soon. I just been too, while, too long since we've seen each other in person, but uh, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to go uh, to one of these information security meetup meetings again and see what's going on at the new venue and, and all the people. Congratulations on your success. 
Thank you, George. And uh, again, I think you're, what you're doing is uh, is amazing. Uh, you are contributing to this to the space as well, and definitely uh, becoming an emerging leader in the space. Um, so, looking forward to uh, you know keeping in touch and tracking your prog- uh, progress. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. All right, folks, it's time to bounce up out of here. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 